0: This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor,
1: a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome, and Kevin is a gigantic nerd.
2: No,
0: no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain, and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify.
1: Did you really call me a
0: bozo?
3: (laughs) This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that.
0: It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Two segments today, great show. First, Greg Olson, longtime NFL tight end, current Fox broadcaster. He joins me to talk about a whole bunch of issues. His friend, Russell Wilson, former teammate in Denver, AFC West expectations, how he almost became a patriot, what he's learned in production meetings This year, some thoughts on the Panthers. Really needy discussion with Greg. I love talking to him. And then Ben Solak and Nora Princiati join me to round out the episode with a big picture conversation on some of the things that have happened this week. Omar Khan is hired as Steelers GM. uh, Kind of a new structure there. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, offensive staff with with the Patriots. Uh, A lot to get to. Let's start with Greg. Greg Olson, longtime NFL tight end. Current Fox broadcaster. He's here with tight end university teu presented by Sharman. greg what's going on buddy
2: how we doing thanks for having me on
0: i'm so excited to have you on for a lot of reasons first of all it's two it's two canes chopping it up which is important um, love that you gotta, you gotta take take all those opportunities where you can get it um but you've done so much one of the things that you and i've talked in the past but in charlotte and, and elsewhere um just saw you at the owners meetings a couple of weeks ago um but when I'm pre- preparing for a guest, I listen to try to listen to all the podcasts that they do, um, just to know what they want to talk about, what they don't want to talk about, just sort of get it. And with you, it was honestly a mistake because you do you have so many podcasts, you have done so many different things. You're on Dale and our juniors podcast. You have a youth sports podcast. Um, that I just listened to the, the Cooper Manning episode about five minutes ago. You have such a range of diverse interests, and I'm curious with your first year out of football and probably the first time you hadn't played, haven't played football in 20 years. um, What did you like? What did you not like? What did you learn about football? What was retirement like for you in year one, Greg?
2: Well, I learned that retirement is sometimes busier than when you actually had a (laughs) like full-time job. As you said, I've got a lot of different things going on and, and a lot of different interests, but it's really just a lot of things that, you know, while I was playing and while I was so, you know, kind of just, just, so involved every on a daily basis with football and training and getting ready for the season and the off season and kind of that 12 month kind of cycle of, of what was playing in the NFL. Um, you know, it was a lot of things that got put on the back burner. So I think now, you know, I'm entering, I'm doing a lot of, you know, as you mentioned, I'm working with Fox calling games, which has been a blast. Um, we got TEU coming up, um, yep. in a couple of weeks. And at the end of the month, I got my podcast that, you know, so we got a lot of different things. We obviously spend a lot of time, you know, with our kids playing sports coaching. So I, I got, I got plenty of things to do now in "quote unquote" retirement to uh, keep me busy.
0: <laughs> One of the guests on that aforementioned youth sports podcast is Russell Wilson, your former teammate, your friend. I don't help me here because everyone keeps making a Tom Brady comparison, where he goes to the Bucks, that roster is ready, and they immediately are contenders. The difference is now that he's in the AFC West, where I could see that going any of four ways, frankly, with injuries and, and luck or whatever. Um, Russell Wilson going to the Broncos with that roster in that division does what to the 2022 season. Where what how act, how good will this team actually be, Greg?
2: You know, I think that's I think that's yet to be kind of determined. I think they have a lot of talent. I think on paper they're young, uh, they're talented in the right spots. They got some good offensive weapons, they got a good secondary, they got a couple of young pass rushers. You know, they're built, you know, they're built in the in the mold that when you add a franchise, you know, one of you know, top tier Hall of Fame caliber quarterback to the mix, you know, they're a team that you'd say, yeah, they're they're immediately a contender. You know, when you looked at them last year, we actually called some of their games. I called yeah. their game um in Dallas. You know, you could take a look and, and Teddy did a good job. He actually played great that game. They yeah. they they ended up blowing out the Cowboys um actually. But um you know you could kind of look and say, hey, they got a lot of young pieces here. Are they a quarterback away? And you brought up the the Brady comparison down in Tampa. I'm not sure if the roster is that good. I think that right. that roster that Brady joined was very talented. They had a lot of good pieces on defense. Uh, you know his offensive weapons and the offensive line. I mean they they were a really talented team. That you know when you add now Tom Brady to the mix, they became you know as we all saw the Super Bowl champs. So I don't know if they're that good. And then and then when like you said that that division the quarterbacks in that division are off the charts, right? I mean you got Herbert, you got Mahomes. I mean they're you know Carr. I mean they got they got four real dudes in that division yep. now. So that's that's gonna be you know you're gonna have six. Six games a year that are going to be a bloodbath, but he's used to that. You know, when he was out west in the NFC, it was no different for him. So, yeah, um, you know, he's not going to shy away from that. But that's that's going to be a gauntlet of a divisional of a divisional uh, schedule, and you know, time will tell how the how it all folds, how it all unfolds.
0: Tell me about TEU. Um, I saw Josh Allen's going to be there. Zach Wilson has been bullied into it. Apparently, uh, yeah, he's leaving Cabo Zach, for yeah. it. Um, what is this? Is what is this like, and 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 why do you guys do it?
2: Yeah. So it started last year kind of organically on a whim. I'm um, talking with Kettle, uh, George, uh, Kittle and, and Travis Kelsey just about getting together. And, you know, what our options look like. I wonder how many guys we could get, you know, just kind of throwing, tossing it around coming sure. down to Nashville. And, um, little did we realize we were going to get 50 guys to show up and, and it was a great, it was a great run. We had a great event and, um, you know, we're going to do it again this year. And, and, uh, Charmin came on as our as our title sponsor, which gives us a lot of opportunities to, to put the guys up in hotels and fun, you know, get transportation nice. and get guys around town to the different uh, things that we have set up and, and Bud Light's coming back for another year. So we got some really cool partners that make this all work. And um, we think we're going to have 75, you know, maybe 80 guys um, when it's all wow. said and done down in Nashville for two and a half days um, training, uh, classroom work, field work. Um, you know, some stuff off the field. We're going to go out and kind of spend some time together and enjoy Nashville a little bit. So it's a, it's a really cool event that we think has an opportunity to to be a prominent summer, you know, be a prominent piece of the summer calendar for for a long time.
0: Those hotels in Nashville are no joke. Every time I go down that's a bunch of bachelorette parties, like even, even for NFL players, man. That's you need those sponsors.
2: Yeah, we, it's it's a it's a very interesting place. Uh, it's a fun place. The guys enjoy coming. It's pretty easy for everybody to get to. Um, Vanderbilt is letting us use their, um, letting us use their facilities, which gives us tons of space for meeting rooms and tons of space with their practice facilities and whatnot. So, um, great venue, great city. Uh, I think the guys are, are really looking forward to it.
0: I want to ask, because I've heard you talk about your experience in Seattle and that maybe it wasn't the right style for you. Um, and you know, with Russell, I think that's the biggest question mark is how much was, the philosophy in Seattle holding him back and what will what will change under Nathaniel Hackett. Um, in your opinion, having been on the inside in Seattle and seen the way they run things, and obviously the meetings were great. Pete Carroll is one, one of the best defensive minds and team builders uh, in modern football history, but there were certainly philosophical limitations. What, what did you see when you were inside of it, Greg?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that was pretty much it. And I think at the end of the day, it kind of just ran its course. I think early in Russell's career, Um, you know, he was a young quarterback as any young quarterback would, would, would ask for, he had a, he had an all time defense. It was, it was a run the ball with Marshawn and play great defense, the legion of boom. And, and then Russell, you know, everyone just assumed Russell was along for the ride. And then over the, you know, over that transition away from that elite defense, as things became a little more offensive centric, not only there, but around the league. You know, we saw that, you know, Russell's obviously, you know, super talented and dynamic in his own right. He's not just the guy that's hitching his wagon to the all-time defense and, and riding yeah. his way to Super Bowl win. So I think over time, Russell, you know, obviously proved that, you know, he's of that upper echelon, you know, quarterbacks and can carry a team on their back and be a pass-first system, which is kind of where the league is going. When you look around the league at the teams that are – that are competing, you know, they're letting their quarterbacks drive the ship. You know, you, you talked about the AFC. Look at the Bills with Josh Allen; you know, they yep. throw the ball almost every down. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, the guys that are that are real contenders and guys that are doing—they're realizing this is an offensive-driven league. This, the philosophies of of punt the ball and run the ball on first and second down, and don't be afraid to punt and play good defense. You know, those, those days are those days are numbered. You know, you, you got to be able to score points in this league. You got to be able to move the ball in the air. And that's what Russ wanted to do. And and that was just kind of a, an, uh, you know, a philosophical difference that, that he had in with Pete in, in Seattle. And I don't think there was any changing that. And I think both sides kind of said, you know, maybe it's in our best interest that we go a different direction. I think Seattle's going to go as much as they can go back to that um, philosophy. You know, they're, they're going to start, you know, maybe a young quarterback and drew Locke, and, and have to rely on a good run game and a good defense, which is what they want to be. So We'll uh, we'll see how that how that plays out, but I think Russ going with Nathaniel Hackett, who's coming from Green Bay, has a great offensive background, great time with uh, with Aaron Rodgers. I think the two of them are going to do really well together, and you know, it's about how does the rest of that group around him continue to develop.
0: Did you find Seattle to be too rigid?
2: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't my style either. You know, it was, it was, um you know, it was a very deep, very defensive driven, which I like, you know, the one thing I will say about Seattle that I loved is the guys on the team were fantastic. We talked a lot yeah. about Russ, Bobby Wagner. Um, yep. You know, they had some really, you know, uh, Q digs. They have some really good dudes on that team. You know, DK, Tyler. I mean, they, we were talented. We had a good mix of young and old. Uh, it was a really good locker room, some really good guys it's just philosophically they were very committed to what they wanted to be. Um, They they had a staff that was very rigid in what they wanted to to do. They had done it for a long time and in their defense, they'd done it at a high level. They'd won a lot of games, as many games as anybody over the last 10 years. And, um, you know, so they, they did things a certain way. It wasn't necessarily the way I had been accustomed to doing it in my career. Wasn't really the way I played the way I, my style or whatnot, but um you know, every team has the right to run their, to run their organization, how they see fit. And time always is the tell of, of who ends up being right.
0: So this was your first year, this past year in production meetings, because when you were in you were calling games as a player for Fox, but you were not allowed in the facility on Thursday, Friday, that sort of thing, because teams were worried about competitive stuff. Um, so you're, on the other side, now you're in production meetings. Who was your production meeting MVP? Who was the coach that blew you away? Because those things—I I mean, I've never been in one, but I hear they're just unbelievable when the coach really wants to spill the beans on football knowledge. That it's yeah. almost like you know football, you know, advanced football with some of the smartest people. Uh, what did you learn in your first year there? And and who was the best?
2: Yeah, it was really cool. Um, you know, we didn't do them in person; they were all via Zoom right. uh, during the week. But but nonetheless. You know, having the opportunity to talk with Bill Belichick and, and Sean McVay and, you know, and Matt in the floor up in Green Bay. I mean, it, there was some really cool minds that, that really opened up and would, and would really talk honestly and candidly, um, and share their visions. I mean, to have an opportunity to talk with Bill Belichick and talk, you know, philosophy and how to build a team and culture and, you know, strategy and, and just his thoughts and how he's seen the yeah. league change from, when he first got, you know, first came in the league, you know, 30 years ago to where it is now and how his ability to stay ahead of the trends. It's just having those conversations with, with other head coaches. You know, I'd only played for a couple of head coaches. I played for Lovey in Chicago, Ron here and, and, and Pete out in Seattle. So just to, to expand my, you know, just my exposure to other philosophies, other ways of doing things, listen to how guys communicate, listen to how guys put a, put a, you know, package together, how they put a plan together, how they, Address teams, how they, you know, a lot of it was, hey, coach, you guys had a bad week last week. What's the message? And then just listen to them tell us, you know, what was the message all week? How do they plan on bouncing back after maybe a tough week before or vice versa? So there was so much information that that I took from that that I really enjoyed, and um you know, I'm looking forward to to have an opportunity to speak with hopefully even more guys. You know, we didn't have come close to having the whole league last year, so there's a That's lot right. of guys that I'm looking forward to speaking with that I haven't had a chance yet.
0: Belichick said he, he tried to trade for you at one point, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Back in 2000. Uh, so this would have been the 2010 season, mm. um, you know, go that, that season going into going into the 2010. So that draft, like at following the nine season, um, we brought in Mike Marks into Chicago and uh, he didn't really make use of the tight end. It was not something he was overly committed to do. And I got called into Jerry Angelo's office on the eve of that draft um, and said that they had a deal in place with, with um, New England that if a certain player they were targeting, it turned out it was Gronk. And, I was uh, about to know, say,
0: this is an incredible sliding doors moment.
2: Yeah, so obviously Gronk fell out of the first round. Um, and at the time, the Patriots had multiple second-round picks, and one of them was on the table to trade for me if Gronk went in the first. Um, he ended up obviously not going the first, sliding to the second, they took them called the trade-off. I played that last season in 2010, um, for Chicago. And then following that season, the next off season, I got traded to Carolina. So what, uh, it all worked out in the end, but it's an interesting story just behind the scenes in the NFL. You just never know what exactly is going on or how close you are to having an entirely different path. As someone, I, mean,
0: I think you think about the game in a really smart way. Do you wish There's a when you talk to these coaches, whether it's Belichick, whether it's McVay, whether it's somebody else, is there a coach where you say, "Damn, I wish I could have just spent a year with that guy"?
2: You know, there's always there's always guys you find interesting. You know, I I don't I don't look back and wish anything different on my career. You know, my the bulk of my career playing here for Ron, I wouldn't have asked to play for a different guy. I mean, he was he was so good to play for. He he did such a good job managing the team and getting guys prepared, and but also giving guys some freedom and some flexibility to be themselves and. And, and take their game and model their game how they saw fit. So I, I always respected Ron. Um, he's a guy that I still, to this day, keep in touch with and think so highly of. Um, so I, I wouldn't replace the guys I played for. But, yeah, I mean, you you think about what it'd be like to to be around Sean McDay and sit into one of his installs and really listen to how he formulates a game plan and how he packages things together to to complement one another. And You know, those guys across the league, Belichick, I mean, just – really interesting football minds that to have an opportunity to just sit there and absorb and be a lifelong learner and be introduced to new ways of thought um, is something that still to this day now on the TV side, I enjoy.
0: With the Panthers in particular, um, obviously you only overlapped with Matt Rule for a little bit, didn't play under him. Um, what? How, how do they fix this? How, how? What? Going forward, David Tepper seems to want to commit money to it. Matt Rule is entering a season where I think most people think he's on a hot seat. Uh, quarterback is kind of in flux as a position there. How do they fix it in Carolina?
2: Yeah, I mean, it starts with it starts with just settling the quarterback spot. I mean, um, you know, whether that's Sam or whether that's Matt Corral, whoever that is, um, they've got to settle it. You know, since since they let Cam go the same off season that that I got let go, you know, it's been one year turnover, one year you know potential turnover now again. Yeah. So they gotta they gotta get that position. You don't want every off season the the swirl around your organization to be. Who's your quarterback next year? And who's your quarterback for the next five years? You know, every, every team is looking for consistency at the coaching position, at the coaching staff and at the quarterback. That's where it all starts. And um, they've got to get that right. I think they did a nice job in free agency. I think they did a nice job in the draft addressing, you know, the offensive line and a lot of the needs where they felt they could get better around the quarterback position and take some of the pressure off of them. So, Again, time will tell. I think they have a talented roster. I think they have a lot of really young, dynamic guys on both sides of the ball that are game changers. Um, They got to stay healthy. They've got to get good quarterback play. They've got to take pressure off the quarterback by playing well around him. Um, But that goes for you know, twenty five of the teams in the league don't have a marquee, prime, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Pat, you know, Patrick Mahomes caliber guy. Everybody else is kind of in that same boat where they got to play well around their quarterback. Um, if they're going to have success,
0: uh, two more for you. First, you mentioned Gronk. Is he the best tight end of all time, or is it somebody else?
2: I mean, I think he's in the. I think he's in the conversation. Of course, what he's been able to accomplish, um, you know, is pretty is pretty unprecedented. I think you know, you go back and you look at what Gonzalez did. Yeah, uh, you know, never really playing in the, in that kind of an offense. Never really playing on a you know high flying passing attack star quarterback I and mean, the best quarterback he probably played with was was matt ryan who was an mvp um you know not when he played with with tony he was a little younger but just you know tony playing for two organizations what he did in kansas city and then being able late in his career to continue to be so productive in atlanta um his numbers are just so off the charts staggering that i think it's hard to quantify that i think but what Gronk did in the run game and what Gronk did uh, you know, in the past game, the combination of those two—I mean, he's in that mix. You know, there's a handful of guys. You toss them in a bag, and you take any one of them. You know, Gonzalez, Gronk. Um, you know, I think Kelsey's on his way. Yep, certainly, I mean, what he's doing—what he's doing statistically over the last six, seven years—is unprecedented. So, I mean, there's—it's a position that there's a lot of guys in that mix. You know, Witt and Gates. Yep. Uh, you can go Shannon Greg, Sharp.
0: I, I'm going to throw Greg Olson in there. Eighty-six hundred yards all time.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you start looking at guys in the production and, you know, then you got to kind of, you know, dissect a little bit. All right, well, what kind of offenses were they in? What kind of systems? What were they asked to do? There's there's a lot of factors that go into playing the position, playing tight end for one team and playing tight end for another team is could be vastly different.
0: Last question for you. You started at University of Miami on a scout team against what, eight first round picks, something like that. What's the craziest thing you saw in Green Tree practice field as far as just the competitiveness, the talent, the craziness yeah. that went on there?
2: Yeah, that was, that was just, that was a different, that was a different world. I mean, that I always say that was the best thing that ever happened to me was going down there and being exposed to just truly highly competitive athletes. I mean, these were guys that every single day, every practice was life and death. Every workout was life and death. And they were coming out there to earn a spot. They were coming out there to take your spot. It was highly highly competitive individuals that were that were at the highest level athletically highest level competitively um you know so going into that but yeah you, you that my freshman year I'm breaking the huddle as the scout team tight end and there's Sean Taylor and John Vilma and Vince Wilfork and DJ Williams and Antrell Roll, um Kelly Jennings uh, I I know I'm missing some guys I mean yeah. just off the top of my head those were all first yeah. round picks Roger Mcintosh was a second round pick um God, I mean, it, it was Mo Sykes, and it was a it was yep. a crazy, talented defense. Um, to compete against them as an 18-year-old freshman day in and day out was was incredible.
0: Mo Sykes' pick six against the Gators might be my most viewed YouTube video of all time. I don't think there's ever going to be a number two. Greg Olson, tight end you, presented by Charmin. Thank you so much for joining the
2: show. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me.
4: and listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness.
0: Joining us, Nora Princeyadi. Nora, hello. Hi, Kevin. Ben Solak. We have not talked for content in many weeks, Ben.
3: Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, it feels like a post Sunday night football little uh, trifecta here. It's very sweet. Well, no, we just talked for
5: leisure. Yeah, but yeah.
3: usually you talk for leisure. You can talk, for, leisure, have, you
5: can talk content. for
3: content. Yeah, usually we
0: don't have should we just Louise be yet recording on recording or yeah. Should we should we
3: be recording our phone calls like our private phone calls for content, Nora?
5: You guys aren't already doing that.
3: You guys haven't been listening to the Nora Princiati voicemail podcast presented by The Ringer?
0: I didn't know. We're, we're getting cleared with legal. I'm about to release hours of Ben Stilak tapes. It's fine. Um, so we have, we're have we going to do a midweek nugs. A couple things happening in the NFL world. It's OTA season. Are you guys excited or is it, is it too quick? Because I'm actually kind of, to be honest with you, I'm kind of amped about this season. Why? Is that weird? What, I mean, well, first of all, I like football. You should try it. But um, I I think that there's so much intrigue and maybe it's just like, I'm entertaining so many hypotheticals like when we had Greg Olson on earlier. It's like, what does the AFC West even look like? You know, like there's just so many different moving pieces that I don't know the answer to. Like I'm I'm taking the Socratic method here, right? Like I'm just putting hand up and saying, I don't know what the season looks like. So I think it's more intriguing. I guess I'm thinking about it maybe earlier. I tend to start getting in football mode like maybe around the Fourth of July, normally because that's about three weeks before training camp, and I have to start thinking about bigger picture stories and stuff like that. And I feel like I'm getting there earlier this year. Am I? Am I the only person amps for football?
5: I'm in hockey mode, but I love that you're grinding, Kevin.
0: No, I Ben, is it possible? Is it possible, Ben, that because you throw yourself into the draft so much that you feel like you have to unwind a little bit, Very whereas much. I do significantly less draft work than you. I do not contributed all to the draft guide and contributed all to the draft podcast like
3: i feel like i'm 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 peaking right now that's absolutely it because i'm very used to may being a work month because it's mm. right after the draft having come from covering the draft and this is the first season where like i have a full nfl off season where, like i gotta do training camps and stuff which is july and so uh, the first week or so into may i was kind of like well oh, this is cool like i'm just hanging out this is great and then like by the second week, i was like shoot i need to be recreating I need to be resting. I was like, I gotta get this done now because I don't have time in July and in August when I usually do. So yeah, the schedule is definitely different for me than it is for you a little bit.
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think I have the I have the rhythms down. Well, Nora is uh, Nora is just in hockey mode right now. Do you want to give a Rangers take?
5: Uh they're awesome and they're going to rule the NHL for years to come. Go Rangers!
0: Wow. No, I was trying to sell me on being a Rangers fan. We had a robust ten minute discussion before we started recording on this. And also, My take here's on the it, thing,
5: though. Okay, go ahead. Give your take.
0: What? No, no. I actually want to hear your your yours before I give mine.
5: Listeners of this podcast know that I've been trying to sell you on being a Rangers fan for a long time, and it's not that I'm necessary. I, I, I'm I'm. Okay, I was about to tell a lie. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep it going because there's no quit in New York. <laughs> But Kevin's just been like treading water on this decision and pretending no, that he's like not. trying to make up his mind. No, it, it, no, it, we know what the answer is. I, I, I we're
0: gonna buy a house, and I don't want to be geographically disadvantaged. I don't know where we're going to buy a house. It could be in any any place outside the the five boroughs. I don't want to be like you know right just train rides away from MSG and then pick the Islanders and and vice versa. I don't want to be in great position to get to Islanders games the rest of my life and then be like, ah, it's actually Ranger Town or, I mean, God forbid, I end up in New Jersey, I have another decision to make.
5: So, you are not willing to be geographically disadvantaged but you are this is about willing to pass market. up a young, the vibrant highest highest
0: housing right? market in the history of the world. Yes.
5: No, you're just willing That's to correct. be athletically disadvantaged. I got it. I get it. I get it. You, you don't you don't care about athletic excellence. Nor, I'm an Orlando
0: Magic fan. What do you think appeals to me? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to go through a bunch of things that have happened in the past week. We'll start with the newest news and the most significant news, and that is that the Steelers have, after one of the longest GM searches ever, uh, have settled on a new structure. Omar Khan, who has been the cop guy for a long time, long seen as the heir apparent, will be the new general manager. Andy, help me out here, Ben. Weidel. Weidel.
3: Weidel. Uh, I was going to ask from, the exact I, same question to Ben. I, oh, listen, and I said it with my chest there, but there's a good chance I've always thought it was Widal and actually been wrong, but I'm pretty sure I got so, this one. I think it's Widal.
0: Ben has seen his name all the time. That's why we, we turned to him because he was the Eagles uh, vice president of player personnel. He he's going to be the first assistant GM in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers Steelers organization. So I guess another evaluation, I I guess, um, since Omar Khan, did not come from a strict evaluation background. I have a lot of thoughts on this. uh, But Ben, what are the Steelers getting out of this? What do they need? Um, If you were running the Steelers, you'd feel how today?
3: Uh, I think this is an appropriate decision for the Steelers in that the common thread of the franchise for so long has been continuity. Right? I can mm-hmm. remember two total Steelers coaches Bill Cower and Mike Tomlin you know what I mean like this is a team that simply does not change often and when they change they try to make sure that that change is something that is going to be steady and going to be long term so you have Omar Khan who came up in the building and then you have Andy Weidel, who is a uh, Mount Lebanon grad came up through the Pittsburgh football programs like through high school and 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 in his young life and then ended up in Philadelphia kind of through the Joe Douglas connection now he's back in Pittsburgh it's very clearly like a Keep things in house, keep things in the home, sort of a thing. Weidel is kind of the next trusted in that group of Eagles executives, right? When yep. like Joe Douglas left, Weidel was kind of pushed up a little bit in the building and a couple other Eagles execs have left. But a lot of those guys have been going to like Cleveland. They'd be going, Yep, Andrew I can't remember Barry. where everyone went. Yeah, right. Um, but but a lot of it's been on the analytics side of the house. Weidel's a try yep. and true football guy. He was one of the, the Douglas hires that was brought in to kind of give that scouting experience. And so I think, right, you have that balance between Khan and between Weidel in terms of the football and the non-football backgrounds. Weidel was in Philadelphia the vice president of player personnel, which as far as I can read it is what the assistant GM is in Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? It seems yep. like these roles are really similar and the titles just different. So for Weidel, it's a homecoming and maybe a bit of a title bump because assistant GM sounds nicer, but in general, it seems to be largely the same role. Uh, so I think it'll be good there, and I think it it makes sense for the Steelers the way they like to run business. Agree, Nora.
5: And just anytime you can, an organization can look at its list of finalists for a GM position and then go, "Okay, we're choosing the one that we want for GM," and then getting other members of that list in the building and in high profile roles, like. The Steelers just continue to be such a strong, consistent organization. And, you know, the last couple of years and this year, we're running through a a change, which is the uncertainty at the quarterback position. But the thing that and, you know, I thought they were going to be worse than they ended up being last year. Not that they were great last year, but I really thought that they would the bottom would fall out in a way that it just didn't. And the lesson learned from that is that the organization is just so solid that. you forget how many little bumps that offers. And I think this is one of them that they can just end up with not just their top pick for GM, but multiple people who are on that finalist list.
0: Yeah, they're comfortable with the structure. And I I think there's a home run for a couple of reasons. Number one is Khan has been the heir apparent for a long time. I referenced that earlier. It reminds me a little bit of Eric DaCosta in Baltimore. Reason being, and they did different things. Uh, DaCosta was not a cap guy. but it, it's just for the past, I don't know, five years, anytime anybody talked about Kevin Colbert, who was one of the best GMs in football, they'd say, you know, the next guy up knows the organization, everything has run well, good ownership, it's Omar Khan. And when you hear that an organization that does things the right way trusts an empowered number two, you get the sense that this is the next guy and he should be running things. So. I don't know what to read into the long search here and all the amount of people they brought in. Uh, maybe they just wanted to make damn sure Omar Khan was the guy. But this seemed like it was destined from the beginning. Very similar to Eric DaCosta a couple of years in Baltimore, a couple years ago in Baltimore. Um, it is uh, when 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 it's an organization like Pittsburgh, like Baltimore, um, promoting from within is very important to them. Um, there's just the way they they go about things, kind of intimate knowledge of the organization. So. I think this is great. But then the cap guy part of it, and this is important. Uh, I, I get this story in January, and I got I got my hands on a study from from one of the kind of the search firms that, that they broke the numbers down on what kind of GM, what kind of coach is successful. And the answer is that just by a small margin, cap guys and contract guys are actually more successful than former scouts. But then beyond that almost always former scouts are the guys who get the top jobs. Almost always. There are very few cap guys who are actually running teams. Uh, Mickey Mm -hmm. Loomis, Mike Tannenbaum, um, Howie did did some cap stuff. Um, but, But normally, what tends to happen statistically is a team who needs a GM finds a playoff team from the previous year, finds their number one scout, not a GM, and says, give me that guy. And... I feel like there's diminishing returns on that. The the GM churn is probably higher than it's ever been, kind of similar to the coach churn. And you end up just with, you know, the eighth or ninth guy, uh, best scout, over a five-year cycle, let's call it. And I kind of feel like cap guys, and maybe, let's say, non-scout, non-traditional hires, are are the way forward. And I think you're going to see more cap guys get these big jobs. And I think Omar Khan, who's been on... And obviously, this is actually... Part of the Andrew Barry story I did last summer where he was talking about how when he was in an organization like Philadelphia, they gave him so many different things to do because they trusted him because he started to rise up the ranks. And when I think about someone like Omar, it's not it, he's been around for so long in that organization. It's not just the cap. They didn't just give him a roster and say balance this every year. They empowered him to do a bunch of different stuff. And that's why I think that he's probably uniquely positioned because he sees all sides of this.
5: I'm glad you brought up the, the Andrew Barry story because I don't know that we've ever talked about this, but I remember when you when you wrote that and reading it, wondering if there is because I think in general, that's a pretty strong point. It seems like the guys who have a cat background maybe do a touch bit better in the long run. My question about that is if there's an application for the scouts where the lesson is not actually that it's better to be a cap guy but that the cap guys are the ones who get forced into doing all those different things and learning all those different skill sets. Whereas everybody needs scouts. So you can be a scout from day one for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden you get a GM job and it's a lot more holistic and you need to be looking at a bunch of different things. And you're really a specialist in a job that's for a generalist. So I wonder if there's a way, if we'll ever start seeing some of the scouts who are ambitious, who, who want these jobs, who've been doing well in organizations for a long time, really try to go out of their ways to learn a little bit more about the cap learn a yeah. little bit more about analytics like lear- just get your hands in all the different roles because i right. think there's a there's a there's an advantage in being kind of like that outsider that cap guys were for so long that you end up wearing a bunch of different hats that i think does end up happening helping when you get yeah. the big job
0: Andrew Barry did everything except he laughs about this. He was not an analytics person. And because he was so young getting the GM job, everybody was like, oh, an analytics guy. And he was laughing. He's like, I was never in an analytics, and I just get branded analytics because I'm a young guy. Okay. Big brain. Se- Big brain, right. And and because he was in Cleveland, honestly, because he was in Cleveland. Um but I also say that the, the cap thing, they tend to come from non-traditional backgrounds and and had a different educational route and all that stuff. Whereas scouts tend to play in college, maybe you played a couple years in pro, maybe you played a long time in pro and you're kind of this is kind of reductive but like it's just this it's a lot of the same guy over and over and over again in scouting. Right. Um, Whereas if you're hiring from a different department um, you're getting different backgrounds and you're getting different uh, perspectives on things. Um, Scouting, there are a lot of brilliant scouts that I would hire to run my uh, my organization, you know, all the time. But Uh, it's a bit homogenized and it's a bit, you know, there's still a lot of old school tendencies from there. There's some old school tendencies in cap. I'm not saying that there's 32 cap guys who just see the game a different way. I'm just saying that there's a great big pool of people out there you could hire from and not just saying let's just do this. The scout uh, is probably advantageous. Anything else in this, Ben? Uh,
3: I would just ask, right, because getting wheels turning on this, is that, why everybody's hiring people from Philadelphia because it ain't because Philly's drafting better than anybody else. You know what I mean? Like over the last couple of years, the Eagles have lost yeah. major executives. They've lost Andy Weidel out to the Steelers. Katherine Raish is now in Cleveland with Andrew Barry. Ian Cunningham is in Chicago with the bears. Brandon Brown is now, uh, with the giants, both Cunningham and Brown joined Weidel and becoming assistant GM. Those are their titles now in their new roles. A lot of those guys had football backgrounds. Like Cunningham was a, a, uh, uh, offensive lineman, I'm pretty sure, uh, in the league yep. in like the 2000s. Then he went up in scouting. Uh, I know Brown played in college. And then they go to Philly for a few years, and they're like director of player personnel, whatever. They're like on the scouting side. They do some pro, they do some college, and then they get hired away. And I wonder if it's that point that Nora made, which is like they're not necessarily analytics guys, but they're legible in it. Because they were in Philadelphia, we know that they speak yeah. the language. And that's the way Philly runs their building.
0: By the way, you want to just talk about Andrew Barry's big brain and all that stuff, and certainly owners, Jimmy Haslam agreed, gave him a bunch of money to run an organization at a young age. He was also one of the best defensive backs in the history of the Ivy League. So, yeah. like, and th- that's saying something. I that's, thought he was coach. last summer. I was going to say, the saying, other reason people yeah. think
5: that he does, does analytics is because he went to Harvard. Because he went
0: to Harvard. And because he had a bunch of job offers on Wall Street. He did not take. Um, and, Wall and Street Tom is Telesco, famous for analytics. Tom Telesco, he'd have been a Rangers fan probably right now, knowing what I know about Wall Street. He'd be right there with you. Um, Tom Telesco is the one that said, hey, Wall Street's always going to be waiting for you. If you want to get into football, get in now. This is a little sliding door's moment. Tommy T. Could be an AFC championship game this year. Tough one. Tough one for Tommy T if he gets blocked by the guy he got into football. Uh, All right. So Ian Rappaport and other folks reported that the NFL basically doesn't like the Pro Bowl anymore. In fact, Roger Goodell said it yesterday, the Pro Bowl isn't working, and the other alternatives are being discussed. What's funny about this is that the Pro Bowl, even in its Awful state. I don't watch the Pro Bowl. I just don't. It's like
5: yeah, hand first, up.
0: It's like the I haven't watched the Pro Bowl I'm usually traveling in your... to
3: the Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't. This I don't idea of, of the, like the Pro Bowl isn't working. What's the Pro Bowl supposed to do? I didn't even know it had a job. I didn't even know there was a goal there. I thought it was just. Well, I just. It's
0: unwatchable, but it still gets like it's like eight million viewers or something. It gets like you know like
5: it's like six point seven or, some or something. It's yeah. like a lot.
0: Um. So they want to
5: do of those, something. Though are just like. TVs that are on in the lobby of a big building.
3: I always wonder that. Well, and that's this, the, the
0: lobby TVs are not counted in Nielsen. They're not.
3: I mean, it All right, to this be is a, a different lobby. We TV.
0: need Brian Curtis. They for don't this. they don't they don't just monitor everything. It's not like well, your cable box does not report what you're watching to Spectrum. It's it's a.
5: OK, again, a I think we're going to need more time for this. So I'm going to choose to move on. <laughs>
0: All right. All right. Um, so, they want to celebrate the players. There's a lot, I guess, you could do. Let's do it right now. Let's fix the Pro Bowl. Ben, Solak, we'll start with you.
3: Uh, y'all ever played Mafia growing up? Mafia? Yeah. 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 So, the concept in Mafia, right, the concept in, the, in a saboteur game is that everybody is aspiring to one goal. However, there's somebody designated randomly who's actually trying to sabotage everybody, right? They're trying to, like, in the game of Mafia, kill all the villagers, whatever. So, keep the Pro Bowl... But like two of the 11 people on any given team are actually trying to sabotage and cause problems. And -hmm. then it's the the goal at the end of every quarter to figure out who those players were. I greatly enjoy the idea of like two all-star receivers, right? Like Odo Beckham Jr. on one side, Stephon Diggs on the other, and one of them drops a pass and they just get up in each other's faces about whether or not he's actually the saboteur. That to me, that's interesting. So I think Mafia Pro Bowl is our solution.
0: Okay, my idea is, Probably the cousin of that idea. Okay. Tweeted this yesterday. It's that you take the teams. The teams are all... Let's, well, we can do AFC and AFC. NFC and AFC. And we're going to throw in a couple of in-shape legends. Throw in T.O. if you'd like. Somebody I like that. Michael, okay. Michael Vick could be, could be Love one. Love an
5: in-shape legend. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, before each quarter, they go to a little hat And every player draws a new position. So it could Uh. be. (laughs) It could be. And it's not offense and defense. It could be anything, right? So it could be that Jordan Davis makes a Pro Bowl next year, draws from a hat, and all of a sudden he's playing quarterback. He's playing wide receiver. Got to play for the entire quarter. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could have Justin Herbert playing cornerback. He could have whatever whatever comes out of the hat. You're at the mercy of the hat. Or or it could be that everybody else is out of position and Justin Herbert draws quarterback and he gets to play and just torch guys for a quarter. Who's not watching that? Nora, what's your idea?
5: So I don't think it can be a football game. I've thought about it a lot and I think we have an intractable problem. We should just which play literal game, mafia? Yeah, I think so. Because the there. game of football is too... it's It's too violent to allow an extra game to count, to have real stakes. But without real stakes, it's just not there's just no way to make it interesting. I think instead they should do American Ninja Warrior. I mm. will be honest, I am mostly basing this on the fact that I was recently at a bar near Madison Square Garden, uh mm. not before very, Rangers game, before Heineken concert. Cool, very
0: cool area to hang out.
5: Very cool area to hang out, but um, the wonderful ladies known as Heim uh, were performing, and I was in the area before the show, and I was chatting with this this um, I was chatting with some friends about the Rangers, and the bartender overheard one of us say something because I was sort of talking about um, like part of the reason I I love the Rangers is I love having a team in New York where I live, and you know if I ever have a family there, I want them to I want to have a team that I root for like with my sure. Very similar, or whatever. Very similar to me. I have to pick a baseball and hockey team. Yes.
0: Right. Based so, on where I buy a house and not by your whims.
5: Somebody... My whims are very important, Kevin. Uh, the, somebody said something along, along the lines of like, I feel like kids always pick up sports fandom from parents. Like if your parents are sports fans, mm-hmm. that always catches on on with the kids. And the bartender goes, mm, not so much. And starts telling us that he's like this huge sports fan and he tried so hard with his kids and they just like could not possibly be less interested except for the fact that they're obsessed with American Ninja Warrior Mm, and made this like incredibly clear case for how much the kids are into American Ninja Warrior and like have specific people that they root for. And it's a big deal. So I think this is how we get the, get the youth into football Uh, is by recreating the pro bowl as American Ninja Warrior style. And then keep it AFC, NFC and make the stakes like, you know, the equivalent of winning the coin toss in the Super Bowl or something. Hmm.
0: Um, I like the idea of it being just sort of a skills weekend. What if they played every sport but football? Football is too violent for an all-star game. But what if they... What
5: about like the the presidential fitness test?
3: Sure. This is the presidential fitness, like the little like audio that you played before we had to do the sprints.
5: Yeah.
3: Yes.
0: Is this a northeastern thing? I didn't do the presidential fitness test.
3: How dare you! You don't know how we are seeing real sports. Should not have done you that. Did you could yes. do it in sixty seconds? How did you measure I, social hierarchy among your male friends in fourth grade? If not for the push-up test, I don't. I don't know. I was probably just
0: winning at real sports.
3: Yeah, that's, I wasn't running in real sports. That's fair.
0: Me neither, Probably Ben. I was playing football. What else? I was playing hockey as a big hockey guy growing up. It's part of the reason that I, uh, you know, I'm not I'm taking the bait here. Team. I'm just not I, taking I, the I, the I, I played hockey that for 10 feels years. Like a trap. I played hockey for 10 years and it was great. And I was just thinking the whole time about where I was going to buy a house and what team I was going to root for. Um, all right. Next one. I can't, I can't honestly, we have to talk about this because it's just, it's a news item, but I cannot believe we're still still doing this uh the 49ers possibly move closer to a much needed jimmy garoppolo Mm. resolution this is from mike florio this morning uh nothing's changed from kyle shanahan not mike florio this this is this quote uh nothing's changed since the shoulder surgery we knew where we were at before that and then he got the surgery so everything went on hold i expect him at some time most likely to be traded but who knows it's not a guarantee, and it's, exa- it's been exactly on hold when that happened. And when is when he's healthy, we'll see what happens. Kyle Shanahan, famous for a lot of who knows quotes. He said famously we might die at some point before yep. a different type of resolution. So he he likes to leave things open-ended. Um. So
3: what are yeah. we doing here, guys? Nora? Kyle, buddy, bring it in.
0: You are so, not good at this, I- man. You are <laughs> Of course.
3: What part? Quotes? Trades? Uh, anything that is not designing the running <laughs> game, my brother. I uh, Listen, do what you do well, my man. Just design a good offense, maximize some players, pick up some yak, make some quarterbacks work that maybe didn't work for other coordinators. Do what you're good at. Subterfuge, playing the game as it were, communication skills. Might be time to just take the L on this one for Kyle. This is just, this is, this is... Very rough look. Every year, it's something with their them in the offseason. And now this year, this Jimmy trade is going to go on indefinitely. And it's going to be every time Kyle's to give a quote, it's just going to be like weird nihilism mixed with like just completely empty coach aphorisms. It's all horrible. It's very sad. <laughs> uh, I just want him to not have to answer questions anymore.
5: I love that Not A Ringer NFL show goes by where we don't uh, demote at least one person to run game coordinator.
0: It's all the same. I mean, it's it's all located in the same division. It's all the same type of guy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. Listen, it, there are a lot, a lot of, of run, good game, run coordinators game coordinators out there. in this league. Uh, Nora, what happens here?
5: Well, I, I think... Hopefully that Kyle Shanahan just, like, speaks publicly a little bit less. I, I wonder... It's worth noting I that like I've been this. wrong about lo- this at literally every Shanahan. juncture. Like, nothing that they have done with Jimmy makes sense to me. I wonder if he now is just, like, their quarterback next year. That, that's uh, yeah. the vibe. I'm going to be yes, honest. I think that's the vibe. That's why
0: this is a topic, is because at some point, Jimmy Garoppolo's there. And at some point, if Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, he might be a better option to win a game than Trey Lance. Benjamin Solak's getting angry over there. This phone has
5: 2022 Jimmy Garoppolo 49ers starting quarterback vibes.
3: We got a,
0: Ben's getting no
5: angry. Guys,
3: they traded two first-round picks to get the third overall pick to draft Trey Lance because of what they know to be true about Jimmy. Kyle Shanahan
5: didn't do that.
0: Well, he did. Yes, he he did. did. He
3: did. He did. He did. You
0: think John Lynch. You think John Lynch. I would love to be able to attribute things to John
3: Lynch. That would be a very healthy run team if I could attribute anything to John Lynch.
0: Nora, you think Johnny Lynch walked in in Santa Clara and was like, Kyle, I've got this idea. You think that's what happened?
5: Do I think that if Kyle wanted to wash his hands of that decision and just roll with Jimmy, he couldn't find a way to do that?
0: I mean, I'm sure he could, but I don't. I don't, I Kyle Shanahan is the quarterback guy. He made the decision. If anything, if anything, and we've seen this before with Kyle Shanahan, he tends to. Uh, say I want this guy, and then they tend to tend to overpay because he wants this guy. Maybe there's some of that, but no, there's no doubt in my mind, or probably Ben Solak's mind, that the idea to overpay for not overpay, but to to commit a ton of resources to getting Trey Lance, came from Kyle Shanahan.
3: Yes, I agree, and I think that there has to be a water's edge somewhere to Shanahan dog houssery. And to me, it's top five selected quarterback for whom we traded multiple first-round picks, right? At some point, that guy's just got to see the field. And and I wrote about this last year in, in the sense of if, if the Niners are going to be like a healthy team, which a healthy team and a successful team are not always exactly the same. That's critical to know. But if they're going to be a healthy team, Somebody in the building (laughs) has to be able to tell Shanahan, like, hey, it's time to take Brandon Aik out of the doghouse. I'm going to take Tracer out of the doghouse. You need to put young players on the field, let them make mistakes, and go. I feel like if that's going to happen... What evidence do we have that this
5: happens on a consistent basis? Say it again? What evidence do we have that this is what happens on a consistent basis?
3: That that what happens? That Shanahan doghouses people?
5: Yeah. That Lynch undoghouses them. That's what I'm saying. Lynch isn't doing that.
3: Right, what I'm saying is, in order for them to be a healthy team, Lynch must start doing that. And I think if there's ever going to be a situation that is dire enough that forces somebody in the building, Lynch or D'Amico Ryans or who's the owner, York or somebody? I don't freaking know. Somebody to tell Kyle Shanahan, hey, it's time to let a rookie get out there and make mistakes. It'll be for the sake of Trey Lance.
5: Good so cop. They, they the, the, the logical basis of everything that you are saying, I agree with. I agree that that is how it should be. I agree that several months ago, that would have been the smart assumption. It may still be the smart assumption. At some point, and maybe that some point is in September when Jimmy Garoppolo is starting games for the 49ers. At some point, we have to look at the situation and be like, it's not happening.
3: No, I, I, I refuse to entertain the reality. It is too scary.
5: So, okay, let me let me live in this world with you for a second. The alternative, and I think there's there's this is reasonable, is that the situation with Jimmy literally is what it was a few months ago, because I believe on his recovery timeline, he was going to start throwing sometime in June. So Mm -hmm. it's entirely possible that everybody has to wait until we get to that point before the evaluations are complete enough to complete a trade. And maybe they won't get everything that they wanted for him, but they'll find something, move him on. It's Trey Lance time baby let's go and we're cool. That that that's perfectly reasonable. In my heart of hearts it's it's just starting to not look like that. No. I but think
0: that's
5: there's perfectly no reasonable. There's, there's no, there's no reasonable market al- for Jimmy
0: Garoppolo. There's no market for Jimmy Garoppolo and I, I I don't I don't know what it looks like if 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 Trey Lance starts 3 games and doesn't look good then.
3: It
5: looks like Jimmy Garoppolo starting for the San Francisco 49ers.
3: We have to to remember here, we're talking about if Trey doesn't look good. For a San Francisco 49ers offense, led by Kyle Shanahan, which at times has made both Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard look viable. I agree. There is no offense in the league that is better at making bad quarterback look good, which I don't even think Trey is a bad quarterback, but there's no offense in the league better at making bad quarterback look good than Shanahan's offense, number one. Number two. It, it is it is Sam Bradford in Philadelphia with Wentz in the wings. It is one quarterback injury somewhere between now and August 31st, yes. and Jimmy Garoppolo is out of the building.
0: Yes. We got Baker Mayfield on, on watch, though.
3: It is one quarterback injury, yes. <laughs> and then it is Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> before Baker Mayfield.
5: That I wholeheartedly agree with. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Um,
0: I mean, th- there are going to be different costs, is my guess. All right. Uh, anything else on this guy's?
3: I love Trey Lance.
0: I like him, too. I'm just saying that I I think we all see that there's the potential that something weird happens.
3: Want nothing but the best for him.
5: I like the guy, too. It just doesn't matter if I like the guy.
3: So
0: this is from Greg Bedard. And so here are the the current coaches who are moving, who are are dealing with the offense right now in New England. Joe Judge, former wide receivers coach in, in New England. Uh, author of the extremely strange, uh, what was it, quarterback sneak on third down? Yeah. The goal, yeah, uh, classic. Classic setup set up for the punt, baby. Offensive play. Uh, Matt Patricia, uh, who you may remember as a defensive coordinator and a failed head coach of the Detroit Lions. Nick Cayley, Vinny Sunsiri, and Troy Brown. Troy Brown is an offensive name. He has played offense, including for the Patriots. So we're certainly moving in the right direction with that name. Um, saw a story today in the Boston Herald that um, Ross Douglas, young guy, is also going to be working there um, and is an interesting name to watch. So Greg Bedard uh, has a quote. He works at the Boston Sports Journal. Quote, I've heard from people in the last couple of days about what's going on with the offensive coaching staff. And the initial reports I'm getting back are not good at all. And that includes what they're hearing from the players internally. It's not going in a good direction. Now, Joe Judge... Is what it is. He's been an offensive coach, position coach for the Patriots. If you want to say Belichick plus Joe Judge plus a couple of other position coaches are gonna run things, I'm okay with that. The Matt Patricia thing is where I start getting a little spooked and wonder what what what's what's going on here. Uh, Nora, help me understand what's happening.
5: Well. Uh, nothing good. I don't think look uh, at the most recent OTA there and take this with a grain of salt because it's an early OTA, but Bill was really, really involved with the offense, which is probably good news and bad news. The good news being that Bill Belichick is heavily involved in coaching the team. And the bad news being that he has about 12 jobs at this point,
0: but he was heavily involved after Josh left the first time as well.
5: And I think they've had so much of a brain drain there over the last few years that it has to catch up at at some point. They're sort of trying to overcompensate for that by getting guys like Joe Judge and Matt Patricia back in the building who've had head coaching jobs. But I think the central issue with those guys, I think there's two central issues. One, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia as position coaches may have perfectly fine things to offer in terms of their football ability. I would say I've seen little to no evidence that either one of those people is a good communicator. And ultimately, the biggest thing that we're talking about here is that someone is going to have to contribute positively to the development of Mac Jones. That probably involves a lot of teaching and a lot of communication. Neither one of those people has a good history of doing that. One of Joe Judge's issues tends to be, and uh, Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston has done a really, really good job of, of pointing this out he speaks incredibly fast and he communicates about 20 different concepts at a time. Yep. It's, it, it, it is too much. It doesn't have a good track record of, of, of just like getting into the minds of young players and helping them learn. It's actually in really, really stark contrast with what Bill's philosophy tends to be, which is basically like, here are the three things that you need to know to go win this game. It is pretty much the polar opposite of that. Now, both of those people are very good at carrying out what Bill wants to do, and that seems to be the number one priority there of who they're hiring. But they've lost so many people who know that system. I thought Nick Cayley might end up looking like the play caller just because he's been around and because he yeah. knows it. If it's, not, if it's not Belichick himself, it probably at this point looks like it's Joe Judge more than anybody else because he's been working with the quarterbacks the most but you're in a situation where a guy who doesn't have a good history of working with offenses in general but then yep. specifically with coaching young players and helping them develop is the most hands-on position coach with the guy you're hoping turns into a franchise quarterback. I'm also not sure that Joe Judge and Matt Patricia are being put in good positions to get along with each other as two former head coaches who may want high-profile jobs again and who are kind of in this hazy we're not naming anybody an offensive coordinator. We're not deciding who's going to publicly be the play caller. We're sort of working in this messy non hierarchy. I don't know. I don't know that that works out too well. So I, I don't have a ton that's super positive to say about it.
0: Yeah, I agree. Both Nick Cayley and Joe Judge have something in common, which is they were defensive coaches earlier in their career and flipped. So Joe Judge was a special teams coach for a long time in New England. He's a linebacker's coach before that at the college level. Um, Special teams coach in New England. Then he spends one year as wide receivers coach along with special teams. Duty. That's that is the entirety of his offensive uh, resume at the end of the The Patriots
5: line. wide receivers N- were notably not good that year.
0: Nick Cayley. You know, it's not entirely his fault. Nick Cayley just- was the secondary coach for Florida Atlantic in 2014. I think that was under Carl Polini. I might be wrong. Uh, Then he becomes an offensive assistant the next year in New England tight ends coach in 2017. He's now tight ends coach and fullbacks coach, okay? The difference, Nora, and you hit on this, and this is the point, is that Belichick worked with the offense when Josh left the first time. And he also had Bill O'Brien on staff at that point. And obviously, he ended up taking over the reins. But they had Tom Brady. And Tom Brady is a heck of a coach, okay? And he certainly understands the offense. Mac Jones is not there yet. It's are two of Mac Jones. And I wonder, kind of what you were saying, I wonder if we're not going to look back on it and say, "Damn, we probably should have gotten a, a stronger voice in the room for Mac Jones." Ben Solak, where are we at?
3: Vinny Sincere is a great name, baby. Love Vinny. That sounds. Trust that guy. He seems like Love he'd Vinny. be solid.
0: His yeah. son played uh, for Alabama, right? No, it's his brother. Yes.
3: I'm about to his say brother. Vinny Sincere definitely doesn't look like his son would be old enough to. No, play no, for no. no.
0: Sa- Sal Sincere is his dad. Yeah, and he was a longtime brother. SEC coach. No, guys, Sal Siri is Vinny Sanceri's dad. Tino Sanceri is his brother. Yes. 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 Sick. The Sanceris are, are like the Himes of
3: coaching. <laughs> Copy that. Um yeah. Right. Vinny I played
0: think... for Alabama. Vinny's the one that played for Alabama.
3: Yeah. The, um, uh, no, I, I, I like everybody find this extremely weird and very concerning. The thing that is, I think. If anything, underappreciated this and, and 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 deserves a highlight, is that it's not just like, hey, our offensive coordinator left and now we don't really know who like who that's going to be. Right. He left. Uh he took Bo Hardegree, who was the Patriots assistant quarterback's coach. Mick Lombardi left. Carmen Brasillo, mm-hmm. who was the offensive line coach replacing Dante Scarnecchia they all also left to join McDaniels with the Raiders. This, after Darnia Skarniecki left a couple years ago, and Ivan Fears is expected Ivan to retire. Retired. It was, yeah, he was the running back's coach, long-time running back's coach in New England. So it's not just that, oh, McDaniels is gone, and we lost a couple guys, and we haven't really replaced them. Everybody's gone. The position of coaches are gone, right? They, they, there is a massive amount of turnover on this offensive coaching staff, and they haven't really hired anybody intentionally to replace those roles. They've just brought Patricia and Judge back because they know them, and, oh, look, these are where the spots are, and that doesn't feel good. Uh, and so even the, like, you know, the, to the degree to which the coordinator teaches the offense and, like, is communicates with Mac Jones, there's also, like, the guy who talks to him the most Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays could be the quarterback's coach. That guy's mm-hmm. gone, right? The offensive line coach. The guy who's talked to those young players because, remember, they lost three offensive linemen. That, that guy's gone. Belichick seems determined to be like, all right, well, if Brady's going to keep winning championships. I'm just going to see how hard of a mode I can play on and still make the playoffs, which is an interesting way of going about it. But this is this is ugly from Stem to Stern in the offensive co- offensive coaching staff.
0: Do you know what position uh, Vinny Sinceri played in Alabama?
2: Safety, Sounds like right? a backer.
0: He was a safety. I think he was. played. I feel like he played backer early in his college career. I remember him being a special teams demon at one point. Uh, I don't. I, it, and then yeah. So uh, that's your offensive mind as well. It's a former Alabama safety, Vinny Sinceri. Not real sure shot. what's going on. Smiling Not face. Not real I trust him. sure what's going on. Um, we'll get out of here with this one. I think this is more of a Stephen Ruiz topic. We'll have him on the pod Friday. Uh, Tyree Kill says that Tua. Should we throws... try to play the
5: role of Stephen?
0: <laughs> no, no one can do that. <laughs> Not anyone can do that. Uh, so Tyree Kill has now practiced with uh with 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 Tua. He had admittedly low expectations, is the headline, via Mike Florio.
3: We love that. Uh, We love that. That's good.
0: It's such a strange quote. Same, Tyreek. At first, I thought it was going to be something crazy, the ball going all over the place. By the way, Tyreek Hill is on record as saying that he thought uh, Mahomes was trash the first time he saw him practice. So, not like a classic evaluator, Tyreek Hill. Anyway, continue the quote. Tua has one of the prettiest balls I've ever caught in my life. It's very catchable. I don't want to continue because the more I talk, the more it sounds weird. Tua is a very accurate quarterback. That's all I'm going to say. Ben Solak, is Tyreek Hill telling the truth?
3: Yes in the sense that any quarterback that makes it to the NFL level is extremely accurate during training camp, at which time nobody is hitting them or actually rushing the pass or actually stressing them out in any given way, shape, or form. And that's who Tua was at Bama. When, oh, man, when things were clean at Bama, whoo, baby, that's the first overall pick. No pressure. First read, mm, looked amazing. Anytime anything else happened, which happens a lot at the NFL level, accuracy went way down for at Bama. it was gone way down in Miami. And so, yeah. Like the, I, I used to call this the Jared Stidham theory. right? Jared Stidham was a fourth round pick of the Patriots. Every evaluator that ever spoke about Jared Stidham was like, oh, baby, he could spin it. Really, really sling that thing around the yard a little bit. He can throw it around. Accurate quarterback. Watch his film. He's not good. It's not good film. Bad film. That's at correct. But every evaluator had seen him practice, they had seen him throw against air. And big guy. Looks good. Throw at 65 yards. Beautiful. This is, this is Jared Stidham theory in practice. Yes, Tua right now is an accurate deep ball thrower because there's nothing going on. Once there's something going on is when things get a lot worse. And also we all did see the video and that ball was not accurate. So I believe Tyreek is generally being like honest, but also I don't think it means anything.
0: No,
5: I think he's lying. And here's why I think he's lying. is because, okay, so the, the quote is, at first I thought it was going to be something crazy, the ball going all over the place. Didn't he, like, pretty famously in his first introductory press conference say, in the tone of, like, a hostage video, Tua is a very accurate QB?
0: I think I, I think Tariq is just sort of doing his own thing.
5: Yeah, but I think we're getting some mixed messages about what is what his expectations were.
0: I just would like to say that if you pay me $30 million, I will say anybody is accurate.
3: That's what's happening right Same. now. Same. That's yeah. how this podcast goes. We're just all paid by various teams and or players to stand for them, independent of one another.
0: Kevin's paid we by the Titans last out, year. That's what led to all we of that. We just send out to all 32 teams our cash app names, and then we just see who's in there, and then they leave a little message, and all of a sudden they say, hey, I, you know, we think we could be pretty good this year, Dash the Cincinnati Bengals, and that's how you get there. That's how you get there. Or there's, we have a great culture, Dash, the Titans, right? Um, and I'm making $30 million, and that's why I do those things. So I don't know about you
3: guys. Yeah. Yeah. i you know, it's early for me. I'm like 20 right now. I'm trying to get up there.
5: I can't comment for tax purposes. <laughs> All right, guys. Anything else? Go Rangers.
0: Yeah. No, go go Rangers. Sooners. Boomer Sooners. Um, Super regionals. This go- oh, yeah. Softball. Uh, ACC baseball as well. Uh, Kane's looking good. Ready for Omaha. Um, so we're going to have another episode this week. Uh, we have one of the best players in football joining us tomorrow night. Um, it's someone I've interviewed in the past, and so I wanted to get a little different perspective. And so I'm bringing in the fellas. Uh, ben Solak and Stephen Ruiz are going to come in. We're just going to talk ball with this guy. I don't want to say who it is uh, until he's in the seat. Uh, but it'll be really, really fun, and it'll be a little bonus episode, and then we'll chop it up afterwards and, and make it a full episode. So we'll see you then. This has been the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for production help with additional productions provision by our Juno